0: You know, every time our country goes to war, sadly, there is a list of people of names, service people who appear in the aftermath that we call missing in action, MIAs. These are people we do not know, sadly, whether they have been killed or wounded, taken prisoner, are deserted. We just know we can't find them, and they can't be accounted for. M.I.A. I I want to ask you a question, because I want this message today to be very personal with you. Have you ever had a time in your your life when your life got so topsy-turvy, upside down, inside out, That you sought God and you felt like he was MIA. You felt like no matter what you did, no matter what prayer you prayed, it didn't get above the ceiling. And if you looked up toward God, the skies were overclassed with that brassy look that you just felt like he was nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt that way? We're reading the book this morning, The Words of a Man Who Felt That Way. And I believe we can discern some things from him this morning and learn some things if we will. So let's take a look at at Job a little bit this morning. Now, Job, the book opens and God is bragging on Job. Now think about that. God is bragging on Job. He says, Job... He is a man full of integrity, perfect integrity. He is a man who fears God. He is a man who turns away from evil. And he even says there's no one else like him in all of the world. Huh? You know who he's bragging to? Satan. <laughs> he's bragging to Satan. Now, have you ever thought about that? What would it be like to be a person that God would brag on? And point out and say, there's nobody like him in the world. He's perfect in his integrity. He fears God and he turns away from evil. I have to confess to you. I've often wondered as I've read that first chapter of Job what it would be like. Lord, I'd love to be that man. Now, honestly, you know me. Instead of being compared to Job, I could probably be compared to Paul. I could probably rival him for the chief of sinners. There is probably a poster boy in heaven on how not to do life, and my picture's on it. I mean, I, I, I know that I'm not that person, but I'd love to be that person. So what God could brag on, integrity, fearing God, turning from evil, no one like him. But now it is, is, it is in that exchange that we find where humankind gets her flaws and gets her reactions. Because God said, Satan, look at Job, my man. Nobody like him. Just consider him. Take a look at him. And, and Satan says what? He said, let me at him. And God said, okay. Okay. Put some limitations on him. We know that God controls Satan. And so in a short period of time, Job lost. Are you listening? He lost everything he owned. He lost his children. He lost everything you can imagine. And then in the second assault, he was inflicted with a disease like leprosy. Painful. Then his wife, hello, his wife said, why are you hanging on to your faith? We know it is curse God and die. Basically, she said, why do you hang on to your faith in God when he's allowed this to happen? Sounds like a 21st century woman, man. If there really was a God, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Forget him. And then his three friends come along and go, you know, you know you sinned to cause this. Hello? Don't you just love friends like that? Here's the interesting, interesting part about Job. Now, Job is God's man, right? The one God started bragging on. And in all of this, in all of this, it says Job never sinned. Now, I asked you a question. If you'd have lost everything, money, family, all your possessions, even your health, would you have said, "Naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave this world." The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think, if we're honest, most of us would not. It is also interesting to note that that for Job, with all this going on, Job, the man, the perfect man, God does not ever speak to Job for. Thirty-seven chapters. In fact, he says, if I go east, I can't find him. If I go west, he's not there. If I go north, I'm scratching my head. If I go south, he is nowhere to be found. Where are you, God? You see, most of us want to live in chapter 38 where God is speaking, but most of us today probably live in chapter 23 where God is silent. Have you ever wondered what's going on when God is silent? Go ahead up there, if you will. When you can't find God, I want to begin with some reasons. I want to begin with some reasons. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. We are not going to be all exclusive, all exhaustive about the reasons. I'm going to give you some things, some practical things to help us think about. I believe we can pull it out of the life of Job and... Uh, um, and the Bible. And what I will tell you is it's all centered on this. Now don't write this word down. There's about to be a word up there and you're going to start writing and don't write it down. But it's all about a test. A test. Life is a test. It tests us on this side for what's on the other side. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take test, and we're going to turn it and we're going to take it away and then turn it over and bring it back. And we're going to make test an acrostic. You have four blanks. I want you to get this. I want you to hang on to this. Somebody sat in my office yesterday and said, I take this home and I study it. Test. So I'm gonna use that as a to tell you four reasons here that I think are true when we can't find God. First is the word trial. Trial. You see, the truth is God. He gives us things in our lives, bad things in our lives, to try us. He doesn't need to know where we are, but we need to know where we are. He doesn't need to know how mature we are, but we need to know how mature we are. And when He puts trouble in your life, He does it for the reason of testing you and me an unexpected death, an unexplained financial disaster difficult marriage circumstances. The list can go on and on and on. And when God puts them in your life, there is a reason for them. I remember when Deborah and I were going through the thing with Christy, and actually Christy was going through it. It's no secret, you know, that she's had some real difficulties. And you know what? We look back now, and in the middle of it, we were seeking God, couldn't find God, and one kind man said, you'll get through this. God will see you through it. Did we believe that? Well, our faith said yes, but our heart said no. Any parent know what I'm talking about? Because, you see, we know what it is to want to brag on people. God bragged on Job. We brag on our kids. We brag on our grandkids. Now, what do our kids and grandkids have to do to be bragged on? Be born. Somewhere in the 80s, we forgot that when we brag on somebody that it should, there should be a reason that we brag on them. And I dare say this, and that's not true, it's a generalization that does not go across the spectrum, but I dare say that some of the reasons that we go through the difficult times with our kids, some of the reasons that I can take you to friends and families who are going like this, I don't understand why my kids are doing this. I didn't raise them like this. But we brag on them whether they do good or not. God does not do that. God will only brag on us when we live according to His Word, when we're only obedient, when we are people of perfect integrity, when we do fear God, when we do turn from evil. You see, God puts trials in our lives to turn us from evil. That's why James writes in, his first, in the first chapter, Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials and testings, knowing that those things will work to mature you in the faith. You may be in the middle of a trial right now. In fact, for me, I kind of, my theology is kind of like this. Most people are one of three places. They're either in the middle of a trial right now, they're just coming out of a trial, or they're about to go into a trial. Because God knows this, we listen better st- flat of our backs than we do standing on our feet. The trial. You can't find God in the middle of a trial. Doesn't mean he's not there. We'll get to that in a bit. Doesn't mean he's not there. But it does mean that he's putting a little pressure on you to see what happens. First thing is trials. The second thing is going to be an unusual word that you are not going to get your hands around until I run around it a little bit. It's the word experience. You see, a lot of times when we get into trials, what we look for is an experience to get us out. We look for an emotional experience. We can't feel God, thus He's not there. That's the modern-day connotation. We can't feel God, so He's not there. Here's what I will tell you, folks. First of all, there is a great deal of difference between the promised presence of God, which is I will never leave you or forsake you, and the manifest presence of God where God shows up in a room and you can feel Him. There's a great deal of difference in that. You see, it doesn't matter how deep the night is. It doesn't matter how how, how dark the way becomes. God is still with you. He is there watching over you. He may not be... A, 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 speaking to you at that time for a specific reason but a lot of times we seek the experience instead of seeking God. God, just give me an experience so we run from place to place and our emotions always lead us. Now, please listen. There should always be an emotion attached to our relationship to God. Part of the problem with Baptists today is we have tried to make it a total intellectual game and so too many of our of our I'm trying to find the right word here, Brother Terry. Too many of our preachers who have reached the upper echelon of Southern Baptists have become totally intellectualized in their approach to Christianity. And we've extracted all of the emotion. There should be emotion there, but please listen. It's it's just like this. When your kids were in there three and four and five, you responded to them emotionally sometimes to help them because they were so frail, they're so young. This is what they needed. But you respond to your 24-year-old differently than you respond to your 4-year-old because that 24-year-old should be mature. The day will come when God will stop treating you like a baby and giving you a little emotion for everything you need and he'll start talking to you like an adult, like a mature person. Now, Am I the only one in this building that kind of every night goes and says, You know, God, I sure wish you would respond to me like you did right after I got saved. I would like that one more time. I'd, I'd like you to treat me like that one more time. And yet God's purpose is to mature us in our faith. To bring us to the place where we can function, where we can eat the meat of the Word. I have a friend who's pastor of First Southern Dale City a Church in Oklahoma, Tony and I went to college together, and they have on Wednesday night what they call halftime. And I communicated with him this week. I said, Tony, what is there something special about that? Do y'all put goalposts in the worship center or something? He said, no. He said, honestly, halftime is this. At the middle of every week, he said, we come in and we sing three praise and worship songs every week, he said, and then we get into a verse-by-verse study of God's Word. One verse, we read it, we take it apart, then we move to the next. He said, it's real deep. He said, not everybody comes. It's not for everybody. But we do that. You see, folks, Paul, I believe it was, was who was crying about the fact that people get to where, or they never get to where they can partake of the meat of the Word because they always need the milk. Old song, you know, I'm I surprised, Teddy might remember this, Bob or some of you guys has been in the music ministry for a while, but there's a tr- tape track that the church owns that we, we did in college called Fat Baby. Just a fat, 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 fat little baby. Because all you can do is just keep eating milk and the soft stuff and the baby food because you keep wanting that experience. Sometimes the reason God doesn't show up is because you seek that experience again and you don't seek Him. I wonder, in this room, do we seek God? Do we seek to know Him better every day? Do we seek to let Him control our lives and our lifestyles? Or do do we just kind of plug Him in as part of our schedule on Sunday? When you can't find God, it may be that you're seeking for the wrong thing, you're seeking for experience. It could be the fact that he's giving you a trial, but number three, it could be a fact of sin. Oops. Did you just say that right out loud for God and everybody to hear? We don't like to talk about sin today. We call them mistakes, we can call them problems, we can call them a lot of things. We don't want to call them sin. The truth is, sin still quenches off and pinches off our fellowship and our relationship with God. God is under no obligation to speak to your heart or my heart. Because somehow today, whether we like to own up to it or not, we have sin in our lives. And if we've not admitted we've had sin and we don't deal with the sin, the sin still remains there. And sometimes we get this sin that we like that we embrace, and some way we have decided to justify it that God understands about our sin. And we just rationalize it out. He understands. He understands our, our hatred. He understands our gossip. He understands our pornography addiction. He understands those things that he says are sin. Now, here's the truth. If if you believe that in your life, if you think you have found the one sin that God is overlooking, you have fooled yourself because let me tell you what God thinks about sin. When God sees sin, he sees that very thing that caused his son to hang on that cruel cross. And he has no toleration for it. Think about it. If you had a child, grandchild, that died for the sin of someone else, would you ever have a relationship with that person? Oh, Brother Jerry, yeah, we're supposed to forgive. Oh, I know what we're supposed to do. Perhaps we can. But would we? You see, it is that sin that you committed yesterday that sent Jesus to the cross. It's that sin that you've hung on to for five years. And you've refused. You've stomped your feet. You've gotten hard-hearted about it. You said, I'm not going to come to God and say, this is a sin because so-and-so does things worse than me. Well, listen, when it comes to you and God, so-and-so, that other person does not matter. Sometimes the reason that God does not show up in the middle of our difficulties is because our difficulties are created by the sin in our life. The last T is just a simple truth, and I'm just going to mention this, a truth. And here's the truth. It is true. Sometimes God will not show up because you have sin. But that's not true every time. The truth is, Those three friends of Job's that came in and became his accuser, they spent a whole book raking him over the coals about whatever he did bad and refused to get right before God about it. And he knew in his heart, he had searched his heart, and there was no sin. And the truth is, sometimes God is just refining you like gold. Did you read that? As gold. As gold. The reasons. You think of these reasons, they probably all kind of strike a chord in our hearts. So I want to move to the response. The response. When we can't find God in our lives, what should our response be? Well, if you will, if you still have your Bible open, you can turn to, to Job chapter 42. Now, remind you what I've already said. God didn't speak for 37 chapters. <laughs> and then when he did start speaking, Job might have wished he hadn't got him to start talking. Because God said, could you do these things? Who is it that does these things? What are you talking about? And when he's finished, Job has an opportunity to respond. And I would suggest to you he responded in four ways. First way that I would suggest to you to respond when you can't find God is, first of all, remember who God is. Remember who God is. Is there anything you can't do? That's what he says. Is there anything you can't do? That's what Job says talking to God. Do you remember who God is today? Or have you heard him dethroned so much with this familiar talk that he's the man upstairs, that he's the good buddy? Have you lost who God is? I don't... In the beginning, God. That's what we need to get in our minds. In the beginning, God. Before anything else was created, God. He's been here since the beginning. He's been, he's been here since the beginning. He'll be here to the end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created light. Now I don't know, when He spoke the words, I don't know who heard it. I don't know who responded to it. I don't know how it happened. I just know He spoke it and it happened. In fact, if you want to know from me, this is the Big Bang Theory. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said, let there be, and bang, it was done. Remember who God is. And that He holds the power of life and death. He is the one that brought the fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He is the one that parted the Red Sea. He is the one that saved the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. He is the one that saved Daniel from the lion's den. He is the one that gave David victory over Goliath, and he is the one that can give you victory over whatever's going on in your life. Remember who God is. There's not anything he can't do. The second thing is, I would suggest to you that you need to recall what God has done and is doing. Recall what God has done and is doing. Let's talk about some things that he has done. God demonstrated his love in this way. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. What he has done? Seeing us in our sin, he sent Jesus to die for us. That we could have a relationship with him. And Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through What has God done? He has made a way for every person here to enter heaven one day. Will we all go? Quite likely not. Why? Because we tend to want to make our own way. We tend to want to... uh, I read it on Twitter this week. Ed Setzer said one of the problems with churches today is that members have made it okay To join and sit and do nothing. And that's not the Christian life at all. Because when you get connected to the Father through the Son, there will be an urgency and a passion about the kingdom work. Remember who God is. Remember what God has done. And remember, watch this, what God is doing. Now when you get in the middle of your trial, it's tough to remember what God is doing. But let me just take it one step further. I am amazed today, amazed at the number of people who claim to know God, Teddy, through Jesus, and they cannot identify one thing God is doing in their life. Is that amazing? You go, Brother Jerry, I don't believe that. Well, that's okay. Why don't we start right back there and let's begin. Everybody just stand one at a time. Give us 30 seconds something God's doing in your life. Now, if I were to do that, we'd have a bunch of red faces and mad people because I don't talk in front of crowds. Well, you talk everywhere else. Why can't you talk in front of crowds and tell somebody what Jesus is doing for you? I don't think it's a matter we can't talk. I think it's a matter we can't identify. And I think it is one of the things that's killing the kingdom work in the United States of America. What is God doing in your life? If all you are doing is coming to church and just going your separate way and you're compartmentalizing your life to where the only time you really have an experience, any kind of spiritual experience with the Lord is on Sunday morning, or if you're a really committed Sunday night, or if you're a fanatic Wednesday night. If that's the only time that you're having anything to go on in your life spiritual, chances are you've never met the King of Kings. While I'm on that... Let me get on a bandwagon. I don't get on many bandwagons. We have dinner on Wednesday nights. You know why we have dinner on Wednesday nights? I want everybody to know. You know why we have dinner on Wednesday nights? So people can come from work, eat dinner here, and come into worship. Come into our time. And you know what it's become in? It's become a hangout, an eat out, and a go out. You see, God has not relaxed the command to assemble yourselves together. And we have made it what we want it to be, and we wonder why God doesn't show up in our lives. And it's because he's not doing anything in our lives because we are giving him the pittance of our life. Man, how would I get on that? Remember who God is. Recall what God has done and is doing. Is he doing anything in your life? Sometimes we have to put ourselves in a position for him to do something in our life. I'm convinced the reason God didn't do more in us and through us and for us is because we find ourselves out of position. We're supposed to be assembled together. We got better things to do. That's sad. And when you do that, do not be surprised if, when you get in the struggle, that God says, "Okay, you've run the rest of your life by yourself. You take care of this part." There's another thing that Job did in this response. He reached out to God in honesty, and I encourage you to reach out to God in honesty. He says in verse 3, who, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about the things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Isn't it interesting that people who really do their best to walk with God are people who are, are ready to understand when they don't understand They're ready to admit when they need to admit. I want to say this to you. If you're going through a struggle, and you're still trying to play nice with God, you can tell him just how you feel. Hello? He's a big boy. He can handle it. In fact, let me say this to you. You may well open the door of communication by your honesty instead of by your Phariseeism trying to keep it from God because He already knows anyway. The best thing you do is say, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. I am mad as a hornet. And it's your fault. Now somebody asked me one time I said, Brother Jerry, when you tell people that, don't you get afraid about the respect? And I said, Well, here's the thing for me, I I probably credit people with too much sense, because I've always um, I've always uh, uh, tried to respect people who I knew could take me down. You understand what I'm saying? You feel free to speak to God however you want to, but never forget God can take you down. Be honest with Him and say, "Look, I don't understand this. Why are the skies gray?" Why why do my prayers not go anywhere? Why can I not sense you? Why can I not find you? Job said, I go to the east. I can't find you. If I knew where to find you, I'd go talk to you. Reach out to God in honesty. And finally, respond in a godly way. Now, this is going to ouch a little bit. I could ask you, how many of you really love to get shots at the doctor? Is anybody here that just, doctor, I I need a shot. Would you give me a shot for something? If you are, we're going to start a support group for you. Verse 6, he says, therefore, I apologize. (laughs) I take back my words, but that's not the hard part. And repent. You want the godly way to respond? When you're in the middle of a struggle and you can't figure out what's going on, repent. What does repent mean? It means to change a direction. It means to change a mind. It means to forsake something. In fact, in order to repent, in order to repent, it's not a matter of just turning away from something. Are you listening? It's not just a matter of turning away from something. It's a matter of turning to someone. When you can't find God, repent. Let's pray together.